so happy that you have joined us and again another sabbath another opportunity to connect another opportunity to come into your homes and talk about the word of god first off we're so honored that you are giving us some time this important treasure that you have on this sabbath day but before we delve into the word i'd invite you to just bow your heads with me as we pray god of time God that calms the tempest and brings peace amidst our turmoil. Be with us today. Be with us as we talk about rest and ritual, about Sabbath and salvation, about the possibility that you give us for yet a better tomorrow. We pray that you stay with us as you were with the children of Israel in the desert. That you be present in our lives as you were in the lives of the disciples. And that you flood us with hope as you possess the writer of Revelation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hans Vecchi is an author and writer for the New Yorker magazine. And he talked in one of his articles about this current plight that we face in our time. The endless assault on peace and relaxation. The epidemic that has spread across our country, that idea of busyness. Nitzvecki says that amidst a culture in which everything needs to be microwaved, he believed that for efficiency's sake, he could microwave his relationships. And so Nitzvecki began to do what most of us do, what most of us do in order to fill the gaps and the holes in our soul. He reached out to social media. After all, one can be connected with the rest of the world in a matter of moments. And he developed, I guess you could call them friendships. Every day when he would wake up and looked at his social media account, he was gratified and exhilarated by the fact that he had this countless group of friends, more friends than he'd ever had. Nitzvecki says that after a few months of seeing the amount of people that visited his profile and connected with him grow, he decided it was time. It was time to make these digital connections and friendships live out in the real world. And so he invited people to meet at a bar. All 700 of his friends received an invitation. 60 of them responded with a maybe. And 20 of them answered that they would definitely be there. So on that fateful day, Nitzvecki believed that at least 10 would show up. He put on his favorite pair of pants, splashed a dab of cologne on his face, a pressed shirt that was readied for the occasion was draped over his shoulders, and then, then he went, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. 
and a woman came in. She wasn't even one of his friends. She was a friend of one of his digital acquaintances. They made small talk. And after a deliciously awkward few moments, she left. And there he was. Nizveki ends the piece by saying, 700 friends, and I was in that bar all alone. And that sentence stayed with me. Because after all, we all suffer with loneliness. And we believe that by microwaving, by speeding up the order of things that God has set up out before us, we, we can be more efficient. We feel embarrassed, as Ken Shigematsu points out, about sleeping and taking naps. Exhaustion is a badge that we carry proudly. Full agendas, we say, I have no time to fit anything else in. And in the middle of all those conversations and statements, pops up a lesson, a quarterly study on the idea of rest. Not rest as a sign of God's favor upon you, not rest as your response to the God who has done something for you, but rest as a basic human need, as important to you and I as eating and breathing. And so today, today we're going to look at the concept of rest yet once again. But we're going to connect this concept of rest with the idea of rituals and the connection to the past. I want to pause it to you right at the start that a healthy understanding of rest provides richness in four primary aspects and arenas of our life. First, it gives you roots. The idea of taking some time to connect meaningfully with yourself, to do what the ancient Benedict monks called the examinare, a period in the time where, in the day where they would stop and look inwards to find where God was calling them to move rooted them in a vocation that was ever attempting to grow closer to God. And so to take a time, to take a breath, to pause in the middle of your day, or even as a weekly rest, provides you roots. Rest also allows us the possibility to reconnect. So as you are rooted, as you are providing yourself with this intentional space to do what we've called this inner self-examination, that allows you to reconnect. Reconnect with parts of yourself that you might need to fix, to rearrange. It allows you to reconnect with you as a spiritual being. It allows you to reconnect your body, your mind, and your soul. It also allows you to reconnect with friendships. So, the concept of rest provides roots. It provides the capacity to reconnect. It also allows us 
the ability to restore. A study was done, conducted by a graduate student at Harvard University. Out of the population that was interviewed, it was discovered that motivation sank when there was no rust. In other words, people could go on studying as long as they believed that there was a time at the end of the week or even in the day for restoration. Our souls thirst and hunger. The, the idea of rest allows us to navigate the parched and scorched earth that we are called by God to tread upon. It allows us to endure countless sorrows, afflictions, pain, privations. It allows us to do it because at the end we have the promise of a restful oasis. So let's think about it again. Sabbath, allows, Sabbath and rest allow you the capacity for roots, to reconnect, and for restoration. But rest also allows you the ability to reach out. You see, when you are in tune with God and with your inner being, when you are motivated because of the promise of an oasis, it's much easier to be, to be missional. Here's a story that I learned about monasteries in Ireland. Monks there would endure fasts, and the purpose of said fasts was to discover what truly controlled them. But if a visitor arrived at the monastery, the monk was ordered to break his fast and endure food with someone else. See, the whole purpose of any spiritual practice is to reach out and to be missional. So now that we have those four concepts in the back of our mind, let's put some flesh and bone on it. Let's do so by looking at a couple passages in Scripture. I want to point you first and foremost to the first epistle written to the church at Corinth, and we're going to read uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And I just want to point out one thing as we read. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some people of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in all revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were, were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, I need to be honest with you. When I was looking over the lesson and I found this to be the central text, I wondered for a moment. 
And I had to ponder on why we would include this on our conversation of rest. And then it hit me. Look at what verse 6 says. Now these things, meaning all the privations and the problems, all the issues that plague the people of Israel in the desert, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our heart on evil things as they did. Here's the reality. My parents always used to tell me that an idle mind was the devil's playground. And I believe that to a point. But see, idleness comes in different kinds of ways. Idleness can come from the person that is laying back in a hammock, thinking about how to enjoy the pleasures of the day. But I find that in our time, in this age, idleness can be found more pervasively in that soulless, robotic existence following one step out of another, plagued by routine without rest, devoid of roots, of connections of restoration and of missional opportunities. It is this idleness, this constant temptation to remain busy on ban on things that are ultimately banalities. This this is truly the devil's playground in our time and in our space. And so God is asking desperately today that you focus on the promise of rest as this oasis at the end of your story. And that you include in your daily rhythms a monastic bell that reminds you as... As the author of Ecclesiastes will say, that there is a time for all things under the sun. So Paul is desperately asking the church in Corinth to remember the mistakes from the past. But that's not all the New Testament does. The New Testament doesn't only want us to be focused on the past. The New Testament is also desiring for you and I to be future-driven. I want you to ponder for a moment with me on the words that the author of the book of Hebrews writes in the fourth chapter. Therefore, he says, since the promise of entering his rest still stand, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we have who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Now jump with me to, verse, to the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What is the author of Hebrews saying? Well, in essence, he is saying there is still a rest to enter into. Just as the people of old, the ones that were baptized in Moses, were waiting for entrance into Canaan, you and I are waiting to enter into that new Jerusalem where rest and restoration will be found. But for now, for now, the invitation is not to harden our hearts. And how do we harden our hearts? 
we microwave things. We microwave friendships, spirituality, relationships, all for the, for the sake of efficiency. We believe in the culture of consuming, and today God wants you to believe in the notion of rest. So, however you decide to rest today, however you decide that monastic bell to, to ring in your life, however you break up the rhythms of your existence, remember that rest is intended to provide you four primary things. It will give you roots. It will allow you to reconnect with God and with yourself. It will provide you restoration. And it will inspire you to reach out. As always, remember that you are not alone. And that if you invest in friendships, if you invest in time, if you invest in yourself, you will walk the journey of life in good company. So do not harden your hearts, for rest is here. Joey, let's talk about the concept of rest yet again. Yeah. Oh, I love the imagery of, or the story that you told about um, his experiment of, of Niseki, is that was his name? What was his name? Um, who, who tried to microwave his relationships and ended up going to a bar alone. Um, I wonder, you know, I have, I don't know, several hundred friends on Facebook. I wonder if I put in an announcement out, how many of them would show up mm. um, to, to something. That, that, is, that is very, very interesting, especially people I have only connected with online right. versus in person and online. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of study that has been done on um, the how relationships grow, right? And for us guys, um, we, we define and deepen relationships through play. Mm. And uh, play is defined as time invested in nothing, which is a really, really countercultural idea. But I find that it's those people that I will show up with, mm. the people with whom, you know, I go out on a jog or on a hike or um, I do I do these these activities that we could call soul conservation. It is mm. it is with those people that I that I show up for yeah. and show up with. And so I, that obviously is going to dedicate is going to need some investment in our part. And so I think I think the challenge in a culture that is constantly moving mm. is to resist the ease, I think, of microwaving things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I asked myself that question about our, about the countless group of friends that I have online and how many of them do I actually invest in play with? Yeah. No, it's, like you said, it's it's countercultural in our society where pro productivity is king. Mm -hmm. um, play sometimes feels like a waste of time, mm -hmm. and you know, especially those of us who are more task oriented mm -hmm. than people oriented. We've talked about this before. Um, play can seem like 
oh, this is just something that you'd fit into the cracks mm-hmm. of your life rather than this is something that's important. And yet what you seem to be saying is for, especially for men, that for relationships to flourish, um, we need to take time mm-hmm. to play and just have non-productive time that we spend with people. And that is so valuable in, in investing these, in these yeah. relationships. Yeah, and I think I think it it's productive in a different kind of way. So, I just reading for this lesson. Um, there was a book that I that I start, that I picked up. It's a book that I've read before. It's uh, the Community Rule mm. by Saint Benedict, and uh, this is kind of the first monastic uh, treatise that was written by the church, and it's mm-hmm. about fifteen hundred years old, and. Um, it kind of served as the template for all uh, con- convents. And um, I find it really interesting that in the monastery, you had these bells chime. And so the, the monks that had dedicated their lives to holiness mm. knew that there were all these different areas that they needed to invest in. So obviously there was time for prayer. They uh, they would get up every morning at 2 a.m. to pray. Um, but they, there was also time to sleep. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Benedict says that you should sleep more during the winter months. And so they would go to bed at 6 in the afternoon. Wow. Um, there was time to play yeah. and there was time to work Mm. and there was time to exercise Mm. and so it was all these different components that they believed had a balanced life and and the chime in the bell and the bell tolling in the monastery told them that it was now time to engage in something Mm. else um, without feeling guilt yeah and so i think now that you're talking about, well, how do we find rest or where do I, where do we invest our time? Because we can't do everything. Um, it's important to kind of create these internal bells mm. that tell you, okay, right now, it's fine to step away from my work um, to spend time with my family uh, because the monastic bell has has sounded or it's time it's okay to be at work without being with my family which i know is something that we also feel very guilty about because the monastic bell has rung Mm. and so to create those rhythms within our day in our life Mm. is i think a really healthy way of developing our own common rule that'll fit for the 21st century well, it seems like the Benedict monks were also task oriented. They were very task oriented. Because <laughs> that, for me, that that structure really resonates. You know, I'm sure that there's people out there who want their day to be a little bit more free flowing, mm-hmm. who don't want the bells ringing at certain times and telling them it's time to move on to the next thing. But yeah, that does appeal to me because it it does sort of force in the rhythm of the day force us to to follow a, to, to achieve some balance in the things that, as you were talking about, the things that we invest in. So then if we don't have actual bells that are tolling, right? You know, we don't, we don't do that anymore. How do we internalize these bells? Mm. What, what are ways to create bells in our lives for us, those of us who are more task oriented? How do we create these bells in our lives so that we do achieve those those balance, that balance. Well, here's a good news, Joey. I think, first of all, to develop a common rule. Mm. Um, by the way, there's this great book that uh, our staff is going to start reading by Ken Shigematsu mm. 
that talks a little bit about that. It's uh, the, the title is Fitting God in Our Everywhere. Mm. And uh, the idea is both for, for the Benedict monks uh, living millennia ago and for this pastor living in Vancouver in a very cosmopolitan, very busy city, the principles remain the same. And mm. so um, I was really struck as I as I was invited by somebody who was very much into kind of this idea of developing a common rule to ask myself the question, mm. how do I prioritize? Mm. Right. Um, so first and foremost, I think that in order to internalize these bells, mm. we need to prioritize. Mm. And in order to prioritize, we need to be task oriented. So until it becomes habitual, yeah. we're going to need very, very, very clear defined borders, parameters, and, and I know you're going to love it, structure. <laughs> um, so I think the question, once we've accepted that in order to internalize these bells and prioritize, mm. we need structure, then the question is, how do we prioritize? Mm. And um, there's a story that that I heard uh, a few weeks ago that really drove this point home. It's a story of a teacher, um, and the teacher was with a group of students. He had a bucket in front of him, and he dumped in a, a bunch of huge rocks, and mm -hmm. he said, is the bucket full? And the people this class said, yes. And he said, well, I, well, actually, it's not. So then he grabs a, a bunch of gravel and tosses it in. And he says, is the butt bucket full now? And the students now kind of have picked it up and they say, maybe. So he takes out a bunch of sand mm. and um, says, is the bucket full now? Mm. The students say no, because now they know that something's up. And the professor says, great, so gets a bunch of water, dumps it in. And uh, the Buckets overflowing with water, and he asks, "What's the whole point of the illustration?" And I jump as I'm as I'm listening to the story, and I say, "Ah, well, the point is, you can always fit in more." <laughs> and that's not the point of the illustration. <laughs> the point of the illustration is that you need to start by prioritizing what are the big boulders in your life, mm. because if you try to, if you would have put the sand or the water or the gravel in first, you don't get these big boulders in. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to define, as, as we're talking about internalizing mm -hmm. these bells, what are the boulders in our life? Mm -hmm. And I would like to posit to you uh, that it's things that allow us to become more rooted when mm -hmm. it comes to God. It's things that allow us to reconnect with God and with each other. Um, it, it's things that allow for periods of restoration mm -hmm. with uh, not just internally, but with our family. And then it's things that provide us the opportunity to reconnect. Wow. And so if you're if those four things are your boulders, mm -hmm. uh, then you can kind of internalize and you say, OK, OK, Joey, OK, Miguel, in my daily uh, common rule, it's time now to reach out. Wow or it's time now to reconnect, or it's time now to allow myself some restoration. And some days that might even be a nap, mm -hmm. um, or it's time now to, to grow my roots. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find something that works for you. I, uh, Joey, before I, I, I started kind of on this path, I, uh, I would start my day by just reading a little bit of scripture and uh, and then the kids would wake up and my house was chaos. And I found that 
my reading of scripture was always kind of followed by this tinge of anxiety. Mm. And so I wasn't fe- I wasn't developing these deep roots. Mm. And so what I've done now is I've moved my devotional time, my personal devotion to, devotional time to the evening. Mm. And so once the kids are in bed and the house is quiet, rather than turning on the TV, I, I say, okay, well, now it's time to develop my roots. And so these internal clocks that are uh, cognizant of how your schedule in your life and the rhythm of your existence works are important. But I think you need to start by prioritizing and saying, what are these big boulders that I want in my life? Wow, love that. And I love your list of priorities um, that you talked about, the, the restoration, the reconnection, the, um, the, the what was the? Reaching the, out. Reaching out to others. And the first one was the roots, the roots developing deep roots in God. That's that's so powerful that that really does encompass the major priorities, the boulders of our lives. And then you take those priorities and you connect them to practices mm-hmm. that you engage in. So it's not just mentally saying this is my priority. You actually make time in your day to engage in these practices that reform you. And that that I think develops what what the monk said. This is our internal clock, right? Yeah. So in in. I think it's so helpful to start with that because what you're actually doing, and the lesson talks a little bit about ritual and the power of ritual. Mm-hmm. What you're actually doing is developing these rituals that yes. on their own yes. don't mean anything, yeah. but that when they're connected with these deeper principles and these boulders, uh, take on this uh, this almost uh, spiritual, uh, mystical, if you will, yeah. uh, feel to them. And so I think uh, we need to start by recognizing that whatever uh, rule of life we want to depend needs to be flexible enough, mm-hmm. um, but it also needs to, to flow out mm-hmm. of uh, a space when our priorities are connected to practices, as you've mentioned. Yeah, I love that. Because sometimes rituals, they've gotten a bad name, mm-hmm. right? Um, in scripture, sometimes they're framed as, oh, I don't want your your mindless rituals. But the problem isn't the rituals themselves. The problem was their disconnection from the priorities like you, you talked about. But once they have their meaning, they can be a powerful way to form and reform us. And like you said, at first, these, especially if they're new rhythms that we're putting into our lives, new routines, new rituals, they're going to feel awkward and it'll take some intentionality to make them happen, right? It's not going to be just a natural fit, these these routines and rhythms. And it's going to take some sacrifice as Mm. well, because you're going to have to take the sand out and the gravel out and the water out. And I think, at least in my life, my life is really full of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to start letting go of some things Mm. that are not conducive to my, to restful living. so you were talking about rituals. I find that one of the coolest things um, when it comes to rituals, uh, going back to our conversation, is play. Mm. Uh, now, I know most of us, and you, you play tennis, I know you've never thought or you might not think of tennis as a spiritual activity, but it can be. Um, I had my son uh, this weekend, my eldest, and he was playing with some friends and I saw them licking each other. And it was just like this combination of disgust and awe and wonder. 
And then I said, what are you guys doing? And they looked at me and they, they started, they kept licking each other. They said, we're playing. We, we're pretending to be cats. <laughs> and at that point, I had two things to, to do. I could say, stop, that's gross. Mm-hmm. Or I could, I could watch them. And it was gross, but it was also a deeply meaningful and spiritual experience because I just saw like how mm. completely, completely overjoyed mm. they were. And I, I asked myself as I was watching them laugh, when's the last time I experienced that type of joy? Yeah. Which God wants me to experience, by the way. God yeah. is, God is, look, God doesn't want your rest to be kind of just monastic chanting, good as that <laughs> might be. God wants you to experience this unabridged joy. Yeah. Um, when's the last time I have mm. felt that? And I, I said, well, it's been a, it's been a long time. Yeah. And so I'm trying to find ways to rediscover that childlike uh, joy and make that a ritual or make uh, working out a ritual or trying tennis a ritual or going on a jog for a, rit- uh, a ritual. I, th- I, think, I think the point isn't uh, the rituals, as you've mentioned, it's how we're connecting those rituals to, this, to these deeper insights that uh, speak to our spiritual life. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so to find things that bring that uninhibited joy Mm -hmm. that children so naturally fall into, but we as adults have kind of created barriers and said, oh, no, it's not it's not time for that. We don't have time for that. We have to be productive, whether it's um, watching a football game or watching the Washington football team beat the the Dallas Cowboys or or like our camera person or, or our producer was talking about listening to watching musicals, mm-hmm. like Summer was uh, mentioning, whatever it is, that that thing that brings us joy and that, that, that we need to prioritize that. But at the beginning, you were saying something really profound that in order for us to do that, we have to first create space. We've got to take the sand out. We've got to take the water out in order to fit the big rocks in, right? That kind of reminds me of... I was watching a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about a farm out in um, like Ventura area. Yeah. Right. And it's incredible what they did. It sounds like you're familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. Like they, they decided that they were going to do a different kind of farm, that it's not going to be a farm like we have right currently where we have mo- just one, one crop and um, it's actually going to be more of a natural farm where you have different crops that actually help each other in a natural way. You create a natural ecosystem that's self-sustaining. And it was a great dream, but when they bought a farm, the farm was not that way. (laughs) So they had to start, and I remember watching, they had to start by taking out all of the the crops that were already there. Um, And people at first were said to them, what are you doing? These are the things that make the farm money right. and you're removing all of those things. And it, it, is a, it is a space of fear because even in our lives, taking things out means letting go of things that brought some good into our lives at certain points. And there is some fear like, I'm letting this go. Will the new thing be that much better for me? Um, at least for the, the bird in the hand is something that I can count on. Those two in the bush that I'm mm-hmm. reaching for they may not really do the thing for me that, so how do we address that fear? How do we address that fear of being able to let go of the routines we had before 
in order to put in new routines into our lives. Yeah. So Eugene Peterson, whom I know we both love, talks about his experience as, as a pastor and uh, in this action. Peterson, very early in his ministry, uh, felt, and he, he talks about this in a book appropriately named The Pastor, yeah. uh, he felt he needed to succeed. Uh, this was important work, right? He needed to be about his father's business. Mm-hmm. And he was actually, by all measurable metrics, a really successful parish pastor. And then Peterson says, Peterson says except I had no joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even as there was more success and even as there, was more a- there were more accolades and even as... Uh, people around him uh, were celebrating him for being this this amazing minister. His internal compass, he mm. says, my internal life wasn't what it needed to be. And so Peterson decided uh, that in order to maintain the zest and the vibrancy in his ministry, he needed to keep a Sabbath. Mm. And now the question was, well, how do I keep Sabbath? And um, he says, I decided to do it just like the Jews do. So from uh, Friday night to Saturday night, Mm. he kept a Sabbath. Now for him, that meant that his sermon needed to be done by Thursday. And that meant that sometimes the sermon wasn't going to be as polished Mm. as it needed to be. Yeah. And so he there was some apprehension, right? Yeah. Am I go am I this whole thing that I'm known for, right? Preaching these deeply insightful, theologically powerful sermons, that might suffer a bit. Yeah. And so there was this discussion and this internal debate, but he said, in order to maintain my my spirituality where I need to be and my internal rhythm and the way it needs to be, I need to keep this Sabbath. And so he did. And Here's the secret. Here's the, the big thing. His sermons did suffer. Yeah. And he, he, he will admit that he wasn't as good an orator as he had been before, but he was so much more happy. Mm. And so I think that the first thing that we need to accept is that that fear that we're going to lose something is well-founded and we might well mm. lose something. Yeah. Um, you might, if you're saying, hey, I'm going to dedicate more time to play, you might not be a successful professionally. Mm-hmm. So you should be afraid. Mm-hmm. The question isn't uh, a question about loss, though. It's a question about gain. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm going to I, I'm going to maybe be less successful professionally mm-hmm. or I'm not going to. Um, have all this time I want for X, Y, or Z thing that I think is really valuable, but am I going to be happier? Mm. And I think you address the fear not by looking at what you're going to lose, Mm -hmm. but by thinking about what you're going to gain. Wow, that's so powerful. So Martha, if she's going to learn to sit at Jesus's feet like Mary, she's going to maybe have to give up this this um, identity of always being the best hostess, mm-hmm. always having her house perfectly clean, always ex- serving the best meal. She's going to have to let go of that identity a bit in order to experience that intimacy 
with Jesus and with God. Exactly. Wow. And the food's not going to be as good, and yeah. the house isn't going to be as clean, but in the end, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that phrase, in the end, it's going to be okay. You know, it kind of reminds me of how this lesson wraps up, right? Because it's pointing to a future mm -hmm. hope, a future rest, that the Sabbath is meant to be a foretaste of, mm -hmm. right? This rhythm of a weekly rest will eventually um, lead us to a, a day when we will have this eternal rest with God. Um, and, you know, we were talking about it, this in our staff meeting. I think um, Joelle brought this up, this idea of if we just, if, if we can just remember that in the end, it's going to be okay, that that is such a powerful statement because there are things that happen in our everyday lives, that there are things that happen in our um, weekly rhythms that make us feel like, oh my goodness, if this little thing doesn't turn out the way I expect, my whole life is ruined. If, um, if I don't get the recognition for this job, if, if my sermon um, just really bombs, if, um, if, I, you know, if my uh, family doesn't respond the way I expect them to this, to this, this activity that I'm proposing, like, it feels like everything's not going to be okay. But the, the message of the Sabbath and the future Sabbath to come is that, yeah, you know, those things, those losses hurt. Having your house perfectly clean doesn't, you know, not having your house perfectly clean does hurt. But in the end, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be okay. And I'm just, I, I'm just, I, I, I think Sabbath does help us remind, help to remind us that, yeah, I can let go of these things mm -hmm. because God has it. And in the end, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So I was wondering um, this week as I thought about Sabbath, mm -hmm. why it is that the Jews started Sabbath Friday evening. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jews knew about a 24-hour day. So what was it that, uh, that pushed them to say, oh, I'm going to start Saturday, yeah. uh, Friday evening? And the answer was trust. Mm. Um, so they started Sabbath when they slept because it was an act of faith. Mm. It, was, it was to believe that even as they rested, God was in control of the world. Yeah. And that when they woke up, God was going to be there because God didn't sleep. Yeah. And so it was. it's this amazing exercise and simply letting go which is what you're talking about and saying it's gonna be okay god's got this mm. and the way in which they the ritual that they used to go back to our conversation about rituals was they slept mm. um and i think i think we need to sleep as well and i don't mean just literal sleep although that would be great i mean to rest and and just let go in the knowledge that God's got this, and and we can't we don't do that. I think that's the problem. That's why Paul is pushing the Corinthian church to not to not make the mistakes that the Israelites made in the past. That's why Hebrews is saying there's a rest that you're going to enter into. Don't harden your hearts. Yeah. 
Because if you cannot experience rest and restoration in the rhythms of this life, yeah. you're not going to be able to experience rest and restoration in heaven. Mm. You're going to be worried uh, and you're going to try to catch the commuter train to from the New Jerusalem to the Sea of Glass. You're not going to be able to simply be and we are, after all, human beings, not human doings. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the hardening of, of our heart and, and the mistakes that Israel makes uh, in the wilderness uh, that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians has to do with the, with the they get to this, to this ideal, uh, which is Canaan, and they can't, they can't enjoy being in Canaan because Canaan isn't the way they expected it to be. Mm -hmm. And so they said, well, I can't let go. Mm. I've got, I've got, we've got to figure this problem out. And I, I wonder how, how different the story of Israel would have been if they get to Canaan and they say, well, we don't, we don't know how this is going to work out, but in the end, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to put our tents up and we're going to go to sleep and God's got this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because I hear those, the opposite voice a lot of times in my head. Mm -hmm that it's never good enough. I've never done enough, right? That's the message that I hear. And it's that, that message has helped me to be very, very productive, mm -hmm. to get a lot of things done and do some high, high quality work at times. Um, and so it's, it's a, there's a, there is a fear, like we talked about before, of letting go of that mantra that is repeating in my head that it's never good enough, it's never, it's never quite done, that you can always do more. And letting go and replacing that mantra with the phrase, in the end, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that, the replacing of one with the other comes with, like you said, trust. We have to trust God that God's got it. And so sleep in, in itself, rest in itself is this act of trust that I don't feel like I've done enough, but it's okay. Because God's got this. So in the end, yeah. it's going to be okay. Yeah, you know, I, I hear you when you're talking about productivity. And so this whole week, as I thought about this lesson and I pondered what, what to share and how to, how to have this conversation with you, I asked myself a question because it is a really thin line between excellence and unhealthy obsession. Um, <laughs> really and I is. said, well, where is that line? Mm -hmm. And I think the line we're going to go back to this is when the bell tolls, we let go. Um, so, yeah, as long as you're engaged in work, mm -hmm. then be excellent. As it, when it's time to play, be excellent in your play. When it's time to be with your family, be excellent in that. And then when the bell tolls, let go. Yes. Um, which is which is not what we do. Right. We we don't. We, we, we don't know, I think, how to let go mm. because we haven't developed the tools that we need in order to realize that life is always a decision mm -hmm. that, require us, that requires us to say no to some things. Mm -hmm. And, as, and until we learn how to say no, we're yeah. not going to let go. That's so true. You know, sometimes we confuse setting boundaries and limitations with legalism, mm -hmm. right? We think, oh, you know, because we're saying when, when the sun goes down, we're going to stop this because the bell has tolled and we're going to 
now focus on rest. Sometimes people confuse that with legalism, but it's not legalism unless we're depending on that mm -hmm. for salvation. It, it, what it's saying is these boundaries, these boundaries that we set are healthy because without the boundaries, then, then it becomes too fluid and it, we don't really let go like you were saying. And instead we're holding on to this while we're trying to engage in this and do this incredible multitasking dance that none of us does well right. and everything suffers. So that letting go is forming that boundary around the Sabbath. So we say, this is what we are going to do, but it also means this is what we aren't going to do during this period of time because we really prize and value rest on the Sabbath. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a really good way to, to close our conversation. And I, I hear this inner voice right that uh that says well how does that what does that look like practically and i think you've said it before it's not about developing a list of things that you have to do and the things that you and a list of things that you will not do um i think it's it's saying because i do x y and z in throughout my week i'm going to do a b and c on the sabbath and whatever, and that's going to obviously look look incredibly different for for each of us. So I think Joey, as as we conclude, I think we need to to remind people that the way in which they don't wander into legalism is that they see is that they realize that these boundaries and this this for lack of a better term this inner life mm -hmm. is going to look different for all of us. Yeah, yeah, that's so true that the boundaries, because our work is different, our personality is different, what what refreshes us is different, what rest looks like is different, it's more personalized mm -hmm. to us. And that's okay. It's okay. We don't need to compare ourselves right. with other people. But the principles are still there, the principles of rest, of restoration, of reconnection, like you had talked about. Those principles are still there. And as long as we are living by them in a personalized way, that's how we create Sabbath. Oh, that's such a beautiful way to state it. Um, Gustavo Gutierrez, one of my favorite theologians, says that to rest is found in enjoying friends, good food, and a nap. So this Sabbath, go enjoy friends, enjoy good food, and we're giving you permission to take a nap. Joey, won't you close us in prayer? Yes. Loving and good God, we want to thank you so much for being a God of rest, a God of play, a God of celebration and enjoyment. Of course, you invite us into productivity and creativity and creation. You invited us to be fruitful and to multiply, but also immediately after you gave us time mm -hmm. to rest. And so help us to embrace all those aspects of who you are, not just the productivity, but also the rest realizing that the play is just as important as the productivity. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.